0: Hello everyone, this is your co-host Jason Castingway, and I welcome you to Main Menu for the 2nd of September, 2016. I'm not even going to give you an inkling of what this show is about, because Janine and Randy do it perfectly well themselves, and you'll be hearing them in a second. Suffice it to say, it's a round table, and we are focused, but it's a broad focus, so we will take you here, there, and everywhere. Enjoy listening!
2: Hey guys, what are we going to do this week for the show?
1: I have no idea. Hmm. I don't know. I've, I'm up against it right now.
2: Oh, you know what? I'm sick of talking about iOS. <laughs> Anybody tired of talking about Windows?
1: Uh, I, I don't want to talk about Mac either.
2: Oh, no, no. I don't think that's going to work. How about Fine. Android? Larry, you got anything on Android?
3: Uh, I don't use an Android.
2: <laughs> oh, see, it's going to be a long week. You know what? What's Let's that? just talk about low tech stuff this week. Um,
1: well, oh. we could, but first I got to get something ready in my. Oh, mm. I can't. I can't work my oven. I'm going to have to figure out how to use it.
2: Oh no! Oh my goodness! <laughs> so you all are wondering what show you stumbled into. Well, this is a main menu roundtable, and this week we're going to talk what to do when the world isn't accessible. So some solutions, we love accessibility here, but we're gonna talk about solutions when things just aren't, and what are you gonna do?
1: Now that you know what the show is about, let's set up a scenario. You just received a box in the mail. You open it up, how do you make it work? The Three Stooges said it best.
3: You know, it's easy to wipe these things.
1: Really, Moe? Just how does one do that? How should I know? Push buttons. Yes, we are, right into the show. And for some reason, if you can't hear us, hit the loudness bu- bu- button.
2: Joining me is our main menu team, the big R, Randy Rusnak.
1: Hey, how's it going, everybody?
2: Ooh-hoo, and Jason Castanguay, our yeah. amazing show intro man.
0: Hello, everyone. Good to be here.
2: And the big boss, <laughs> Larry Turnbull.
1: The pressure cooker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Back from the World Blind Union in Orlando, woohoo!
3: Oh, fun! Just So, is they're about to get ready to get hit with some uh, tropical weather?
2: Oh Ooh. goodness! Oh, yeah, I was gonna say. I think you made it out of there just in time. So, guys, when we were actually talking about this, you know, amongst ourselves, we started talking about appliances of all things. And what do you do? I just got a new washer and dryer, and thank goodness for the lovely Specular app. I I got help labeling it, but what do you guys do with, you know, appliances and buying appliances? And, you know, it'd be great if everything talked, but it doesn't. So what do we do in that case?
0: Well, I typically look at the appliance, like if I can, I'm at the store, I'm looking at the appliances, and I'm seeing if there are buttons I can turn or press. That's just my initial inspection. And if it's all membrane, I know, okay, when I get this home, if I really want this thing in the first place, I'm going to have to do some labeling majorly. But if it's knobs that you turn, for example, I was actually gifted a toaster oven uh, several years back. And right away, I could tell that it was a nice analog knob for uh, determining the temperature. And I just had someone tell me where the 350 degree mark was. And from then on, everything else was very memorizable because the other buttons just clicked into different positions or there was like a timer, uh, you know, stuff that we've encountered before. So I didn't feel the need to label it. But it certainly gets more complicated these days with the buttons that you
1: can't even feel underneath the membrane. and Or... Or the dials that constantly turn round and around and around. Yes. Oh, and they have no yep.
2: start and a end. Yep. <laughs> oh, and Randy has experience with this one. Tell us about yep. your new your new gadget, Randy.
1: I will, and then we'll pass it on to Larry, because I want to state here first that um, I think everybody is or has owned a home at one time. And we have to put things in our home slash apartments, uh, so we have to try to make things ex- uh, as accessible as we can. Um, so a while ago, um, probably, you know, and we're speaking late, 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 late August right now. So about a week ago, uh, I ordered an oven from QVC, and I was wondering, well, I wonder if it can be accessible or not, uh, f- if I can figure it out. And you always worry about that sight unseen when you've ordered something and you just don't know what it's going to be like. So I opened the box, and these three dials uh, looked kind of interesting, and they had four push buttons down the right side, and the dials all turned, and they all had—they all kind of went. You know, they all had detents in them. You could—you could feel them, and they, I thought, well, great, this is mechanical. I can operate this. <laughs> So I plugged oh. it in. I plugged it in. I got four, or um, I think three beeps or two, two long beeps. And I went, ah, success. So when I turn these dials, I'll make noise of some kind and we'll be golden. So I turned one knob. I didn't know what it was, didn't do anything. So as far as I knew, nothing was happening. It was just, you know, you could feel the detents. The clicks were perfect. The buttons beeped, but that didn't tell me anything. I hit one button that turned on a fan. I went, okay, that's convection cooking. So, at least I could figure that out. So, the rest of them, I thought, well, what am I going to do? i am got to say, everybody, we're living in an age where you have to be pretty resourceful. And I'm still learning the oven, believe it or not. It's not, um, for lack of not trying, I've spent quite a lot of time already just memorizing. Also, how I started was taking pictures. Uh, Janine mentioned... Uh, Specular which is a great app. Tap, tap, see, great app. You take pictures of your device, and you get back information where things are on the screen. I honestly don't know what one would do unless you invoke some sighted assistance. Uh, living in the age we're living, I think, is really cool because you can take pictures, and if if you're lucky, the display will stay the same. It won't flash, it won't you know darken, and you can get a reading uh luckily the oven i found out because i read the online manual in pdf and which is cool and uh it said the display will last for 10 minutes before it goes dark oh wow went, wow I, yeah and i went wow i i can i can do this so i started uh, memorizing there is no way that i can put any labels on the oven the oven by the way is uh, called a breville oven and it's uh a stainless steel oven and i really like it but i wouldn't know what to do with it if i didn't have some sort of assistance and as i say i'm still learning now what i do is when i find out how many clicks to to do what like roast bake broil pizza (laughs) (laughs) then i figure that out then i figure out what temperature do i want it to be on and it gives you suggestions frozen fresh so you set that control and then and then you have a timer And you can set that. Now, luckily, the timer defaults to 30. So if I want to, I can use my iPhone or whatever timing device I want uh, to set it for just the default 30. And then just hit the start button on the oven again, and everything starts out the same with the same settings. Pizza, 400 degrees, uh, fresh or frozen, uh, and 30 stays the same. So let's say I need uh, an extra 15 minutes. Well, I just count the extra 15 minutes on my iPhone. And... Then it. Then I just shut it off, and then the pizza comes out just great. So, and I'm just using that as example. I don't want to say I cook my pizza for 45 minutes, but I guess <laughs> I guess it's 20 <laughs> when I think. I was going to
2: say that would be a carbonized <laughs> pizza. However, yeah.
1: yeah, but it works. Um, as I say, you have to be resourceful. Is this for everybody? Um, it it is not. Uh, if you didn't have an iDevice or if you had to. Uh, figure out some sort of bump dots or braille or whatever, this is not the oven for you. But if you happen to be lucky enough to have a device that you can operate like an iPod or an iPad or an iPhone or an Android device, whatever you can take a picture with. Oh, we got out of that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, then, Then you're okay. And I'm sure Larry's got a lot of things that he'd like to talk about because we were talking about washers this morning and how he was able to label his, and uh, how about you, Larry? Do you want to tell a story there?
3: Sure. I mean, I've been through, you know, like you guys, I've been through a lot of times when, you know, appliances weren't accessible, and I've had to make even modifications to the appliance itself to make it uh, accessible. And, you know, when you're talking about the knob that continuously spins around, um, that reminds me of one of the houses I lived in, in uh, Michigan, I had an electric stove in the oven. The temperature dial was one of those that continuously spun. So what I had to do to make sure I got it where I wanted is I'd put marks on the different temperatures, like 300, 325, 350, that sort of thing. And then the knob itself, fortunately, it had one of those, you know, like a lot of them, it has that flat, uh, Piece that sticks out of the front of the knob, mm-hmm. and on and you have to examine both ends of it. One end would be kind of square like, and the other end would be pointed. That's where the pointer is that points to the numbers. Mm-hmm. So you just make sure that points to where you want it to be. And if necessary, and you know, if it's one of those knobs that doesn't have one of those, um, what I did for somebody. Um, I carry, here's a tool that uh, is always handy to have around for many different things, a Swiss Army knife. Oh, ah, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: And
3: it had a, uh, this one had what they call a reamer, which is a very sharp point that you can use to, you know, put holes in leather or other surfaces. Um, and what I did is um, I had somebody show me where the, arrow was because it wasn't raised and then i just took that reamer and just made a mark there to uh um so it was always there you didn't have to worry about putting a dot on there that would fall off or anything like that now
2: that's a huge problem with appliances i can never get the dots to stick to washers and dryers
3: Right. right so um and as far as the washer goes uh I used to have a top-loading washer that, uh, and Randy has something like this, where you have uh, the timer that you turn, you know, to set it to what cycle you want and how much time you want. And behind that knob is the faceplate. And what some manufacturers do is they add an extra faceplate, so. To make it look nice and to protect it and all that fun stuff. They add that extra faceplate and that faceplate spins around as well. So it's hard to, you know, know where the arrow is supposed to be and where the numbers are and that sort of thing. So you never know where you are with it um, because the arrow is hidden behind that faceplate. So you can't feel it. So what I've done is I remove the knob and then remove that middle faceplate, the one that's directly behind the knob. And lo and behold, behind there, you can feel the arrow that was previously hidden. Then I just put the knob back on. Now, some washers, you may not be able to do that, depending on how and where they have the numbers and that sort of thing. But um, Whirlpool is good enough where they have the Braille templates, And, in fact, they recommend removing that uh, faceplate in order to put the braille label on. (laughs) So, uh, now I have a newer model. It's a Whirlpool Duet. It's a front loader, and all the buttons are raised on it. And this one, I got to test out in the store before I bought it. Um, And it has chimes on it for the different levels. Uh, so like if you're adjusting the water temperature, the, you press it once and you'll hear a tone out of it and you press it again, the tone will start going up in pitch and the higher the pitch is, the hotter the water is. And you know, there's like three positions like cold, warm and hot. And when you press, after you hit the hottest point, you know, after you hit the hot cycle, when you press it again, you'll hear the tone drop back down to a lower tone, which means it defaulted back to cold. And the same goes for the speed of the spin and the soil level and all that stuff. And so what I did is just use some Dymo tape with a Braille label gun and just label each button because they were spaced far enough apart to get the labels on there. And they've actually stayed. Wow. Which is great. Cool. (laughs) And it's got a knob that uh, you use to select, you know, your normal heavy duty and that sort of thing. And the knob clicks into each pos- each position, so you don't have to worry about um, is it uh, pointing to the right position, or is it somewhere in between positions or something like that. So I, r- I really like that. Um, wow. So yeah, unfortunately, you know, we need to keep fighting for accessibility with appliances because they are going more to touch screens and smooth membranes. Um, but you have to you have to be a little intuitive and think outside the box a little bit because even if you do get an accessible appliance at home, if you're visiting somewhere like in a hotel room or anything like that, there's a very good chance you're not gonna have that at your fingertips you're going to oh, have oh
2: goodness yes yeah. and janine's
1: got some yeah oh some, yeah uh, i've got stories. some hotel <laughs>
2: stories yes. i've been i've been uh, I think going we'll... to hotels a lot lately <laughs> where you know they've had the little kitchenette in them and i got this great microwave it's this huge microwave and i'm thinking wow this will be awesome i can you know make some tea or something and i get to it and it's a giant membrane and I mean, you can't even feel under the membrane the buttons. Now my microwave is, a, well, it's probably about 10 years old now. And you can actually feel, I mean, it's pretty well worn and the dots won't stick to it anymore, but you can feel the buttons under the membrane. Not so much this microwave. I ended up finally not being able to use it because I couldn't get online to get any help from specular, and TabTapC wasn't really reading it. So I ended up using the stove. And I actually used a gas stove, which made me shiver because I'm not a gas stove person. But, but the thing is, you know, use what you've got. And when you're out there buying appliances, don't be afraid to get all over them. I mean, touch them, reach inside a refrigerator, see where the temperature controls are, what kind of how those uh, things are controlled, because, you know, it, this is your appliance and you're the buyer and you have every right to get in there and you know, really, really look at stuff and turn knobs and see how they work.
1: What's really great is if you don't get any help in the store, go up to an appliance like a refrigerator or a wall (laughs) oven or whatever and start really examining that, you will get a salesperson. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: And
3: and a lot of times nowadays they have them plugged in because they want the displays lit up for the customers Mm -hmm. to see. So you can play with them and see what they're going to do and all that. Now, if they require water or gas, you're not going to have that, obviously. But electric, you will have. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, which is pretty helpful. And it'll be interesting to see with HomeKit. You know, I, I can't wait for the day when we do something like, hey, uh, ahoy, Siri. Uh, you know, set set my washer on warm and, you know, the clothes are already in there. And voila, she goes to town and away your clothes go. That would be really cool. But I think we're a little far from that right now.
0: mm. Although isn't there some iOS app I thought somebody mentioned it maybe earlier about uh some manufacturer that has an app to go with their appliance. I think LG Samsung. has
2: some, yeah. Samsung and LG I think have them,
0: right? Yeah, so we're yeah. kinda halfway there. <laughs> and that's I wonder how scary. accessible the app is. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah, Larry um Larry has a pressure cooker that he operates with his phone.
0: That's right.
3: Ooh. Oh yes, the good old instant pot. Uh yep. Bluetooth uh Unit. I really love this unit. It, uh, and the app is accessible. It uh, allows you to see what the temperature and pressure levels are. And you can select the different presets as well as you can set the manual override. You know, if you want it uh, high pressure for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever you want it to be, depending on what the recipe calls for. And it's very easy to use, and it even sends you push notifications if something's wrong. Like if uh, you don't have enough water in there or something like that and it gets to overheating, it will send an alert to your phone to let you know, uh, hey, this thing's overheating and you need to check it. Oh,
2: wow. I had no idea it had that
1: capability. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um I have a a Traeger grill, which is a smoker and a grill combination, and yes, it is possible for a low vision or blind person to charcoal even without these devices because both Larry and I have done it, and if I say so myself, we do really well with our devices. Mine, however, though, the one I'm using now, the smoker combination and grill has a switch and a rotary knob. How difficult is that?
2: (laughs) <laughs>
1: oh how nice wow I'm, I'm
2: just remembering my dad with a lighter fluid and just having oh, visions of disaster been,
1: yeah been there been there <laughs> um when I was first learning how to grill uh, this was like early like 1982 uh, I think and I'd watched my dad do it well you know not watched but i I was with him um and i'm I'm not trying to be careful with semantics but I'm I'm just telling you this. I I listened to all the stuff that he was doing with the lighter fluid and all this kind of stuff. So so um, back in the '60s, it was all good. He was doing it. But back in the '80s, when I started doing it, I thought, well, I'll just dump a whole bunch of fuel on here, and then I will light it, and I will put the cover on, and that'll be just fine. Well, it was the grill was standing next to the house. I opened up the cover, and nothing was happening. And the next second, I heard this. Boom. <laughs> and three hair
2: months later started. when your eyebrows grew back. <laughs>
1: well, that's really what happened. I cinched I the hair on my arms. Ow. <laughs> got hotter and hotter and hotter and nobody was around. I thought, you know what? I'm in trouble. I'm in big, big trouble. Uh, uh. <laughs> so I, I learned a lot since then. Um, I, I do smoke my own food, grill my own food. I've done it with incredible amount of grills, uh, smokers, and uh, cast-iron grills, and Weber kettles, and you name it, um, I've grilled. Now, with this Traeger, you flip a power switch, and you turn a rotary control knob, which is digitally controlled on the, on the uh, panel, and, you know, if you could see it, if you had low vision, you could actually see the numbers as they go up every, um, I have to think for a moment, it's every... 25 degrees and when you're operating a smoker it gets you all the way up to 450 degrees where you can even smoke a pizza and i've done that so i really wanted that grill and it's not as easy as i mean it's easy but you have to monitor the temperature uh with some sort of a device you know to see what if your food's done um well you have to just be mindful uh and larry you've had experiences with grilling right obviously
3: Absolutely. I use a... I have what they call a char 50-50. It's a combination of... Uh, one end of it is a gas grill. The other end is a charcoal grill with a smoker box attached to it. Nice, yeah. And, of course, it has the typical gas knobs where you, you know, point them to the, the temperature you want, medium, high, or low. And then you just push this button to... Ignite the gas burners. Um, the gas side has a side burner plus three main burners. Mm. And what I do, I have a uh, Weber chimney. It's a metal cylinder that oh, has yeah. grate in the bottom of it, and it fits perfectly in the side burner. I set it in there and I fill that with charcoal, and I kick that flame on high and let it do its thing for about. Five minutes or so and that gets the charcoal good and hot and ready and then i just pour it into the charcoal compartment and that way i don't have to use lighter fluid or anything like that and of course i wear fire resistant gloves so i can reach in there and spread the charcoal around once i dump it in there mm-hmm. and then put the grills the grates back on and then Close it and let it set for about another five minutes, and then I've got a grill that's ready to cook some charcoal meat on there. And I do have one of those talking uh, meat thermometers that I can use, uh, you know, on the different meats depending on, you know, what the temperature requirements are for them. Yep. And then also use uh, an eye grill. It's uh, th- it's a dual sensor thermometer that you can monitor the temperature of the grill with your iPhone. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the combination of both of those units is something that... uh, The
1: combination of both, what you're saying is the combination turns out some pretty good ribs.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Steaks, chicken. um, Oh. (laughs) All
2: this talk about food. So this brings up another thing. So... We've got all this high-tech stuff, including things like, you know, the ID Mate, we've got TapTapC, we have all this stuff. What happens when none of it works? Or, like in my case, the other person in my house doesn't use most of that stuff. He doesn't have an iPhone, you know, he's you know, he can use the ID Mate, of course. But when we put that food in the freezer, you know, do you guys have any special tips and tricks for labeling your food
1: Um, I, I know where the pizzas are. (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good thing. (laughs) When did you
2: make a pizza?
1: (laughs) Well, what I do, uh, I, I just have bags of, let's say, uh, pork chops or steaks, either T-bones or not. Or if, you know, if they're, if they're boneless, like, I just put them in a bag and stack them up. I just, I know what they feel like. Uh, Mm -hmm. Pork chops, I know what they feel like because they have a, a, a little, Oh, a, a t-bone like feel. They have a little, you know. I point the bones usually toward me in a in a bag, and then I can just stack them up. If they're if they're boneless, um, I really don't. And I know I can braille and label, and I usually just don't because I I sort of memorize where everything is, you know. So mm-hmm. that's how I do it. I know there's a more efficient way. And Janine's got some good uh, marker Ooh. tips. Uses. Well, there we, probably
2: you know, is a more efficient way, but...
0: <laughs> well, what happened to me, too, is that I, I thought I knew what I was touching. And so, yeah, we're having steak for dinner. And, well, uh, no, it turned out they were pork chops. And we still enjoyed them immensely, but, it, you know, it was oh, okay. you know one of those that things... That sounded like
2: my dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ken pulled something out, and he said, I think these are either pork chops or country ribs. And I said, well, they kind of feel like country ribs. No, they were chicken thighs. And... Uh, So what we did to try to stop this madness was, yeah, I could braille in the bags, but then Kent couldn't, he doesn't read braille, he's got partial vision. So we decided to get some colored stickers, and these are little round price tag stickers, and you can find them on Amazon. They come in any color and any size you want. Ours are little, um, about an inch in diameter circles, but you can get them up to four inch squares, and they come in neon colors. You know, you can get them in all kinds of colors. So we have a roll of yellow ones, we have a roll of pink ones, and we have a roll of rainbow ones. And the the yellow are for chicken, the pink are for pork, and then we have purple for chili because Kent likes to make chili and he put freezes bags of chili. And so that's the chili. Green are vegetables, blue are fish, and orange are beef and, uh, you know, ground beef and, and anything else of the beef family. So... That's how, you know, he can pull a bag out and I you can actually braille on these things. You can put them in a braille writer, braille on them, use a slate and stylus. They braille up pretty easily. And um, you know, I could put braille on them if I wanted. I just grabbed the color identifier, which is another the color identifier light detector. Wow, how could I live without that thing?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's our, our little system when you're in a kind of a dual vision household where you know one one person's got the sighted end of it sort of and the other person has the blind end of it sort of mostly and <laughs> you have to make the two meet. So that's our that's our big food tip. And we were we were without our ID mate recently and it, it had to go back to the ID mate hospital and uh, luckily it's it's fine now. But that was a long week and a half. I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: fine, it's
2: and and eating some potentially scary stuff. And there was a lot of smelling and tasting going on that was not always pleasant.
0: So. Mm. Especially <laughs> when you have jars of, uh, sometimes I'll go to stores where, you know, they're local owned, they're homemade stuff. And you have all these wonderful jars that look the same. Uh, and I find either I need to take the time and label them right away or do some kind of uh, tactile ID or uh, just do the guessing game, and you know it's not pleasant when you want pickles and you open up maple syrup. Although oh, I can't think that's a <laughs> horrible thing, actually.
2: <laughs> not too horrible. However, yeah, we just had some artisan spaghetti sauce tonight that right. that I got at a place in Cleveland, and oh my god, that stuff was good. But I'll never figure out the name of it now.
3: <laughs> Reminds me of that garland thing—is it meat or is it cake?
2: Yes. <laughs> Oh goodness! Well, how about some other food or uh, just sort of domestic tips about kind of low-tech solutions around the house? Um, I know that the ever-dreaded count the buttons on the remote control. And Larry, you mentioned the reamer. I I love my Leatherman. I have a Leatherman with an awl on it. And um, Kent was having trouble finding the number five button on our one remote, and so I just took the the all and put a little hole in the middle of that button without destroying the button, and voila, we have a remote that he can actually use now.
0: That's interesting, because I like it when they put the dots on the 5, and we have a remote that has a dot also on the volume, so it's nice to have some reference points. But it would be nice if they would put dots on the DVS button, or the SAP button, rather. Yes. I don't know why that isn't done more. Um, I thought it was. I thought Panasonic was doing it for a while, but I don't see it on remotes very often.
3: I like what Comcast did with their remotes. The channel up and down has arrows. The volume has a plus symbol and a minus symbol. You know, the plus symbol up at the top of the rocker (laughs) button and then the dash at the bottom. So that gives you a good idea of what's what there. And then the five is shaped a little bit different than the rest of the numbers. And I think it also has a dot on it. Mm
2: -hmm. Our um, LG remote has a P, a Braille P on the power button, a V on the volume, and a C on the channel to to the left of the channel button. And that's it. And it's really teeny tiny. You know, obviously for the remote control, but also you know, teeny tiny, like Japanese braille, little teeny tiny braille. But it's on there, and uh, and then we've got the the Time Warner control with the actual numbers. Uh, the the numeral buttons on the numeric keypad are actually shaped like numbers. So you have a number three shaped button, a number four shaped button, and those are kind of interesting too.
0: hmm I haven't come across this situation, and part of it, as I think. Depending on how good you are with just memorization of button positions and things, you you may not end up labeling uh, remotes. But, for example, there have been keyboards, music keyboards, with all sorts of buttons on them. And that I will have to devise some kind of labeling system just to get the buttons I use most often uh, in place. Because sometimes they're loaded with all these little tiny buttons.
1: Oh, well so you might make like a, a a chart of some kind probably right either a chart uh, or if i need to put a little p or a
0: m or something by some button just to for orientation or for that okay mm-hmm. this button is definitely you know multi track but this other button next to it i can go from the multi track button and and find this other thing but i i won't label the entire keyboard but i'll i'll put some sp- labels uh, special marks in certain places
1: yeah now one thing that I kind of like to bring to people's attention this is just a question and there's probably no right or wrong answer but I'm wondering now I used to um, I used to teach assistive technology and I used to work with a lot of people that um, taught cooking and I I'm really wondering these days. Um, I'm not doing it anymore. I've since retired, two years out of retirement or into retirement. <laughs> but if one would teach cooking today, or this, you know, could have even been two years ago, but more often as I'm speaking of today, because um, you know, this is today's technology. I wonder how something would be taught today. With something that looks sort of like uh, that you have to deal with like our air fryers or digital ovens or washing machines or whatever that don't appear accessible especially some of these digitally controlled devices it, it'd be really interesting to find out how people teach today what if they didn't have an answer and they thought nope can't can't use it just you can't do it forget it don't buy it I would hope that there'd be a lot of research going in because there's so many ways to do different things out there today. I'm I'm really hoping that people keep up with technology and are able to teach some of this stuff. What do you guys think?
2: Well, I think that's a really good point, Randy, That that, that we can't forget when, you know, you're introducing somebody to the world of being blind or visually impaired to teach those really good basic skills, you know, feeling, exploring, figuring things out. Because that's going to save you more often than not, mm-hmm. um, and and if your iPhone dies or you know something else happens, you know you're going to have to figure out how to do things, you know, the traditional way, like we did back in the day. Back in the day,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I I lucked out. I had people that were really good at teaching those kinds of skills that I worked with when I went through my initial rehab and my mom was actually pretty good growing up. We were all visually impaired, had a fair amount of vision, but she was really good at, you know, teaching us how to how to cook and things like that and do things using the vision that you had, but then also, you know, developing some other skills and whatnot to be able to fill in the gaps and things like that. But yeah, I, I think it, it's so easy now to think, well, gosh, it's not accessible. I'm not going to use it or, well, I need an app. You know, I need an app. That's My husband keeps teasing me. You, Do you have an app for that? Yeah, actually,
0: I do. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important, too, when you get a teacher, sometimes you, you just pick up a, a certain feeling about whether they are going to push the envelope or just have a very particular way of doing things and not stray. And I know, for me, it was very helpful to have a teacher that would push the envelope. And of course, this is going back to food. I don't know why it keeps doing that. but (laughs) (laughs) I was learning to cook and I was afraid of touching hot items. And she said, you worry too much. And she just showed me kind of before I knew what was going on. You know, she would just take my hand and quickly touch the grilled cheese that was frying or the, uh, the edge of the pot that had the boiling water with the potatoes and, and just these different things that had me realizing, okay, I was afraid of that, but hey, I just saw that we could do this and and it's nothing to fear at all. And that's still not for everybody, but it certainly helped me move beyond where I was.
1: Yeah, I can remember teaching someone uh, flip a grilled cheese sandwich Mm -hmm. and uh, they flip the grilled cheese sandwich and they go, I think I got it. I flipped it just perfectly, didn't I?
3: Yeah, that's great. And also I remember... When I was in high school, I was in the Boy Scouts, and I actually had a my uh, shop teacher taught me how to cook over an open campfire. Oh, neat! Wow. And you know, I hear you know some people, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's good to be cautious of all this and that. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. people being scared of gas and all that. Well, else? That would be camp- me. The <laughs> camp- campfire can be you know pretty intimidating too because you can't regulate the temperature as well as you can with the, uh, you know a regular kitchen appliance
1: um, and you have to feel the boundary and know where the flame f- you know the flame is yeah
3: yeah and also that well i didn't have to use a campfire for this but uh you know i'm not afraid to cook on a outdoor gas grill or charcoal grill or whatever but that came in handy a couple of times uh, when I went through uh, Hurricane Charlie back in 2004 when we were without electricity for eight days. Mm. Wow. Um, wow. When something like that happens and you can't get access to electricity or phone or anything like that, speaking of phone, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you know, we're without power for eight days. And we had to go back to the basics on how to cook things. I mean, we didn't have all the technology because the cell phone towers were out. And, you know, so cell signals were very spotty. And you had to use the phone sparingly because you had no way to charge it. You know, without electricity, you can't charge your phone. So
1: So you cooked outside a lot.
3: Yep, absolutely.
1: Wow. Well, with the story I was telling about the grilled cheese being flipped, um, I said, yes, you flip, flipped it perfectly into my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and, and, uh,
2: that that uh, reminds I, me to ask. So you guys are grillers. How do you flip the food? How do you make sure it doesn't fall down in the grill? Because this is what always freaked me out about grilling. Like, I'm going to flip a hamburger right down into the charcoal.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's, there's lots of ways. Um, one way yeah. is... Um, I bet you can put your hamburgers in a hamburger basket. That's one way.
3: Uh-huh. That's the easiest way. Yeah.
1: Um, then you just flip the whole basket over, and all your burgers turn. Ooh, Otherwise, nice. you just you just uh, you know grab a spatula with a silicone handle, um, and just flip the burger. I, I or I, use tongs I, yeah. or, or tongs. Oh yeah. yeah.
3: Uh-huh. Or yeah. what I do sometimes if I know the meat's gonna fall apart or something like that? I'll just I've got these uh, silicone gloves that I yep. wear when I deal ah, with flames, and yes. I'll just grab the burger and flip it that way.
1: Same here. Uh, another good uh, thing about these gloves, oh, the silicone gloves are remarkable. Uh, my son was um, out by my smoker, and it was Thanksgiving, and uh, we had a like a 20 pound bird that was smoking, and it was golden brown and delicious. And yes, it was great. Mm. And he said, my son said, um, so. How are we gonna get this turkey onto the platter? I go, you hold the platter, and I'll put the turkey on the platter. Larry already probably knows what I what I did. I picked up Uh-oh. the turkey in my with my hands with these silicone gloves, and he goes, Dad, you're really not gonna pick up the turkey, are you? And I go, oh, sure. So I picked up the turkey off the grill and placed it on the platter. They're wonderful for that.
2: Oh yeah. I've got a set of those for, uh, we use them all the time around here for the oven and for our little uh, countertop. We've got a little, just a cheapo countertop toaster convection oven that we cook a lot of stuff in and those silicone gloves and, and the little silicone grabbers and stuff. Those things are amazing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now these are heat resistant enough. I have not seen. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh Oh, wow. Cool.
2: Yeah. You can just about stick your hand on a burner and, and, you know, you'll feel it eventually. It'll get warm, but <laughs> yep. you're not going to get burned.
1: <laughs> wow! No, and they have great conductivity. You you can feel what you're doing. That's what's the neat yes. part of the whole thing. You can you can feel where the platters are, or uh, you know, lowering something onto a plate, or just pick it up with the gloves and put it on. And
2: mm-hmm. you can grab things like the racks. You know, if you have to slide a rack out, you can grab it. they are also little silicone. I've got. Some that are like a little pincher thing that you can put your fingers in and grab the rack with, mm-hmm. um, which are really cool. And I think um, some of the um, adaptive companies sell those, but you can find them at any good kitchen store. You know, that's the fun part is this stuff is out there, and you can do so many things with it um, that that you know you would never have thought of. So mm-hmm. let's talk about on the road. I mean, Larry's been on the road a lot lately, and uh, so what are some of your big? travel tips for um i call it the macgyver accessibility kit <laughs> when things aren't accessible or just traveling and wow. labeling your stuff
3: what i do depending on what i'm traveling for uh, most of the time it's been to conventions so i've had to carry a lot of audio equipment because of streaming and all that fun stuff because i have did it with acb and wbu i usually separate my uh audio gear into a bag that I carry on with me from the stuff that I usually check because the thing you got to remember with traveling these days, uh, especially if you're traveling by air is you've got uh, weight limits on your luggage. Oh yeah. You've got all the paranoia with TSA. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're carrying a lot of electronic equipment, you better expect to spend extra time going through security. Um, And you'd have to be patient uh, with them, you know, because they're having to check things to make sure you're not carrying anything. Obviously we know none of us are going to carry any volatile items here, but they are doing their jobs and, and you have to be patient, but, be firm with them too to make sure you know if you've got an escort uh helping you get through all that make sure you get your stuff back don't um some people get a little too comfortable with you know allowing the escort to carry things Um, i typically don't do that Um, i make sure everything after everything goes through security i make sure that i have it all back before i leave the area
2: Oh yeah, I get plenty paranoid about that. So, yeah, and that's something you should be plenty paranoid about actually. Absolutely.
3: Cuz I carry two bags, carry-ons. I have a laptop bag that's on wheels that I put my laptop in and the all the accessories, you know, like the USB sound card and all the cables and all that. And then I have another bag. It's a Gator bag that I got from Sweetwater to carry all my audio gear in. And with the cables, I use uh, Velcro uh, wire wraps to uh, roll them up and tie them off so they don't get tangled with each other. So oh, yes. it makes it easier for setting up when you get to where you're going. Mm-hmm. And this, this laptop bag that I have on wheels, I can actually fit my laptop and a small uh, six channel audio mixer into it. Ooh, so, very nice. Yeah so I'm able to carry all that on you know on the plane with me though some planes um, are small so you may have to do a gate check-in at the uh, plane if they don't fit in the overhead bin.
2: And be prepared for that, too, Yes, yeah. when that happens, be sure that, you know, you have everything out of that bag that they're taking that you might need on the flight or you might need just in case that bag disappears.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Um, and also, uh, it helps to have travel insurance, too.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah. I found a really cool little item that, and this could come in handy just about anywhere, but I love it for traveling. And, and I have to give Darcy Bernard from um, the Maxcessibility podcast a, a shout out for this one because Darcy recommended it. And it's, I'm sure it's been on all the other, you know, a uh, lot of the TWIT programs too. They're called Grip It. And they're these boards that are on one side, they, they are padded with just a, you know, like a nylon. But then on the other side, there's a lattice work of these strips. And they're kind of grippy feeling, kind of rubbery. And you can pull them up and you can secure stuff on these boards. So you roll up your cable and you tuck it into these little straps on the board. Mm -hmm. And you can arrange stuff just about any way you want on these boards. And they stay, all your stuff stays together. Some of them have pockets. Some of them don't. They come in, you know, sizes from like four by four all the way up to a 15 by 20, you know, huge one to put all your stuff on but uh, they're pretty cool and amazing stuff. I've put pill bottles in them, you know, just all kinds of personal, you know, your toiletries on one to keep them all together, um, cables, all my electronic stuff they they are pretty sweet. And, you know, I think the largest one was only $20 on Amazon. So they're, they're pretty inexpensive and a really great way to keep stuff together in your bag or, you know, in your computer bag or wherever you're keeping stuff. These, I can't recommend these things highly enough wow yeah they're they're pretty pretty sweet actually for for keeping stuff together
0: mm-hmm.
2: so now we're at the hotel ah oh, we've got braille on the elevator we've got braille on our room doors hopefully although one place i stay in dc does not have braille because it used to be a, an apartment building and they haven't put the braille signage up yet because they haven't done a renovation so that's their excuse but um hmm. So now we have that stupid hotel room key. And you either can't get the person at the desk to understand how to put the tape on it like they do at the ACB convention, or you forget to tell them. So how do you tell your keys apart? How do you tell which way that key goes in? Hmm.
0: It's
3: one of four ways.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I was going to (laughs) say, you stand there and try it every way. Well, one way that I've started doing recently is at once the the bellman, you know, opens the door the first time I take the key from him and I have him show me how to do it and then I bend one of the corners. I literally, you know, put it up against the wall and bend it <laughs> just so that one of the corners That's is genius. bent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There you go. And then you've always got, you know, one that you know will go in correctly.
0: Yeah. Fortunately a so.
3: lot of hotels um when I was at the Rosen Center now, they've changed it to where you don't even have to worry about which way the key card goes all you do is just put it up against the oh. surface of the reader and it and it opens it doesn't matter if it's upside down right side yes
2: down. I was in one of those recently too and that is the coolest thing oh my gosh I love that and I swear they, I think they you know it's like oh a blind people friendly lock yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I would do a similar thing. Sometimes I'd bend the corner or or I hadn't actually always thought of that. So sometimes I'd um, use a sharp surface to scrape a little mark into a spot on the card so that I could always orient it properly. Just make sure
3: you don't hit that magnetic strip. Yes. Yep. (laughs) uh, Render the card useless. Mm -hmm. Yep.
2: Exactly. So... How about all those little bottles you find in the room? I mean, thank goodness oh, for apps goodness. like TapTapC and other things, you know, um, for being able to tell those things apart. And any other tips and tricks for a hotel dwelling?
0: Well, for a shampoo, I know like specifically for the shampoo and the conditioner, the consistencies are a little different. So if I trial and error, once I find which one is which, I'll make a little mark into the cap so that I know which one is which. But... They have lotions and all sorts of other little things that smell very similar. And it is, you know, without tap, tap, see, or some kind of app, it can be very challenging to discern which is which quickly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There is a manufacturer now that makes those with Braille already on the bottle. So now it's just a matter of advocating advocating the hotels to get it. Wow.
0: Do we happen to know what that manufacturer is by chance?
3: Unfortunately, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I know they're there because some um,
1: philosophy course, makes one.
3: Yeah, as as some of the organizations have you know actually gotten the hotels to order them, and that's really helped a lot of people out.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. well, wow. nice. Great.
2: We'll have to be on the lookout for those.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the neat wow. thing about it is the braille is um, it's just like embossed right on the side. It's really cool. Mm
2: -hmm. And see, with 3D printing, I would think that would be so much easier to do.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, just all kinds of containers and things like that that can be changed really easily. So you're not looking at a, you know, a plastic mold that has to be completely redone and things like that. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And speaking of 3D printing, something amazing that I just saw an article on... And maybe one of you all can refresh my memory on this, but there is an organization out there that will now do a 3D printed ultrasound for blind and visually impaired parents who are expecting kids. So you can actually feel what the baby looks like on that ultrasound. How amazing is that?
0: That is very cool. I saw the tweet. I didn't yet read the article.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So if you are out there, you know, I mean, we can put this in our show notes or somehow we'll, we'll have this available to everybody. But that was just like, oh, did I ever believe that would happen? You know, um, not that it's anything I would particularly be interested in. But I told my sister and she said, oh, my gosh, I still have the ultrasound pictures of my son when he was, you know, 15 years ago. Um, I would love to see those. And I thought, huh, now that would be interesting. But, uh, you know, to actually have that available, wow.
0: Yeah, that is very leading edge for sure.
2: We would love to hear from anybody else out there about their low-tech solutions and just ways of living in in a technological world without becoming super dependent on technology. So how can they get in touch with us, Jason, if people want to talk to us?
0: You can email us. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org, or you can interact with us on Twitter at mainmenu. That was a fun roundtable discussion for me. I did, however, forget to slip one thing in during our travel talk, and that is that I like to wear backpacks when traveling because they keep your arms and hands free in case you need to keep a hand out in front of you while using the cane or carry some other things or who knows what I just like that option and I'm not discounting uh, suitcases certainly they have their place and sometimes there are a number of reasons why we need to have a case over a backpack but uh, wanted to put that out there I have a huge backpack that is expandable as well it has a zipper that once opened allows it to expand even further and it will hold so much, and it has many compartments, and uh, it's great. It even has a waist strap for more support if it's really heavy. For anyone interested in learning more about the 3D ultrasound printing for expectant parents, visit inutero3d.pl. That is I-N-U-T-E-R-O 3 dpl thats inutero 3 o 3d.pl. Main Menu is a program sponsored by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream and repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can grab it on ACB Radio Mainstream using any internet-connected device, get it as a podcast, listen with ACB Link for iOS, or call 605-475-8130 at airtime. As mentioned just a minute ago, you can email us with feedback and suggestions. The address is mainmenu at acbradio.org, or you can give us a shout out on Twitter at mainmenu. Thanks for listening.